Good morning, folks. Good afternoon, folks. Good evening, folks. Depending on where you are, it's just gone midday where I am, and I'm still having coffee out of a very big mug, so my next guest just told me. Um, now you know why I usually have to duck off halfway into these things. It's because I drink three or four of these before we even start. But welcome to another Chit Chats with Gitcats, number 33. They're flying past. And uh, I finally feel comfortable with it and not a rabbit in the headlights going, oh, I'm talking live. Um, got some cool guests coming next week as well. I've just locked them all in. Um, feel free to go over to my YouTube channel and like, subscribe, notification bell, all that kind of stuff to keep up to date with all that. But I hear somebody tapping on my door. A ding dong. Who have I got? It's no other than Mr. Doug Rappaport. Hey, Doug. Hey, man. How you doing, Rick? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, mate, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, no problem, man. I, as I said um, to you earlier, before we, as we're getting a bit of a sound check together, this has been really fun, like reaching out to a lot of my favorite guitar players. And it's surprising who'll say yes if you go about things the right way and, and ask nicely. So I do thank you. <laughs> Yeah, my uh, pleasure. Man, before we get into it, I'm just going to say you are probably my favorite guitar player uh, on YouTube at the moment doing the, the product demo thing. Um, I, I just love your style, man. It's a perfect blend of feel, and you can just see it when you're squeezing the notes. You know, you're playing from the heart, but, you know, just that right <laughs> bit of flash as well. There's a lot of guys out there who I think are so obsessed with showing off their chops that they're not really doing much justice to the product. Um, yeah. And you've got just that that right blend of the two where, where I'd like to be. Um, oh, thank you. That's very kind. Yeah, no problem, yeah. man. Yeah, that's almost so cool because I can, uh, I can just sort of um, not have to put any pressure on myself because I'm focusing on the product. So it kind of mm. takes the pressure off me to like show off or be, just be over the top. I can really just sort of let it be about that and about me, so... Sure. It's cool. It's yeah. also a great way to get, to get your own music out there uh, yeah. without that pressure of, hey, I'm doing an album now, right? Exactly. Uh, I've had a few totally. people say to me, hey, don't forget about doing your own music. And I look at them and go, think about that, man. I am doing my own music while I'm doing these product demos. I'm writing a song for each product. Uh, right. And I'm getting a hell of a lot more views and listens that way than I ever did being in an independent band trying to trying to make the scene. So. That's right. Yeah. I did it's a new click world, a f- man. It is. I did click to that a few years ago that the new guitar hero was the, the YouTuber guy. So I thought, I'm going to have a go at that and slowly chipping away at it and yeah, slowly coming in. So like, subscribe, all that kind of thing. Give us a hand. Same with, with Doug. What, what's your channel called, man? Is it just your name? Doug Rappaport, yeah. Just like that. Yeah, come on over. Come on over. And I'm going to hit this little button so we get a little logo in the corner that says thumbs up. Subscribe, notification bell, boom. So both for mine and Doug's if, if, if you guys are that way inclined. Doug, I'm going to start off how I usually start off. Okay. I'm going to ask you what started the journey for you, man, with guitar? How did it all get started? Well, got started with a tennis racket, really. No. Uh, actually, yeah, it did. Uh, I, uh, I used to air guitar with a tennis racket. My brother still has his tennis racket old wooden tennis racket yeah cool. back in the day but um uh, what really started it was 
um, I listened to Queen when I was a kid and I was totally into it, like from age four. I was totally into Queen and my mother had to teach me how to move the needle on the record and all that. She set up a little stool for me to stand up on and she taught me how to work the needle around and I go to my favorite songs and just all day was Queen. And awesome. uh and uh yeah, I just get lost in that music and I guess where I discovered guitar was uh band from your country, ACDC. I heard them. Yes, yes. And uh it just I heard it on a big stereo system at my school. I went to a school that was just all rockers. And uh, all the dance, so anytime we had a school dance, it was just ACDC and Aerosmith and Zeppelin. And, you know, that's all the dance music was there. But when I heard that ACDC and those, the back of black and all that stuff, I just lost my mind. And um, I was like, I, I couldn't, my mom had a piano and I found fifths on the piano. Cool. You know what I mean? Yep. yep. Like a bah, bah, and like this and and uh, yeah, and eventually I just it occurred to me while I was playing on my tennis racket that I, I could actually do this. You know, why not just do it? So that's what happened. Wow, man, that's a that's a very similar story to me. I'm just adjusting your shot a little as we talk in case anybody's going, "Whoa, that's weird. What's going on there?" Just get yeah, down there. Perfect. Okay. okay, cut to our set. Um, it's funny you should say that because. My earliest memories also are of Tennis Racket, Neil Diamond, Hot August Night was the album for me, and Queen Bohemian Rhapsody. I had that single, ah. all of my parents did. Uh, so, yeah, they were the ones. I didn't discover ACDC until a little bit later on. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, same. So how did you get started playing after the, the fifths on the piano? How did you pick up the guitar? Was that a natural progression for you? Did somebody give you a guitar and give you a pointer how to get started? No, no, not, not at all. Um, uh, I used to go to the local guitar. Sh I, I ride my bike around town. I grew up in a town called Santa Monica, in California. And before it was this really bustling town that it is now it was sort of a beach town, a very sleepy beach town. And we could ride your kids could ride their bikes and skateboards all over town. And there was a local music store and I was that kid, like you see in the movies, looking in the mirror, you know, yeah you know? cool. so i'd go to the music store and just like see the electric guitars hanging on the wall and just like i can feel it still inside me man this sort of magical something magical about it that just pulled me in and i really i mean it was all me you know it wasn't anything like my i had to go to my parents and say i want to play guitar and they were like okay so that's all it was really i was just enamored with it for no particular reason other than it pulled me in awesome Awesome. Yeah. And um, so when you got started, we, did you self-taught or did you get lessons straight away at the beginning? Yeah, I got lessons straight away mm -hmm. um, at that same little store. And um, I picked it up pretty quickly. The teacher I had was a jazz guy and he was really into just reading and he was phoning it in. You know what I mean? He was like, okay, here. And he teach me how to read. And I was like, I want to learn this, not hand him like, you know, ACDC, I go, teach me this, please. And he goes, sure. no, we're going to read. And so I figured it out on my own. He taught me some chords and, well, I could just use my ear from there and I figured out the songs on my own. Nice. So, yeah. so developing the ear came naturally at a young age. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I think that's yeah. overlooked by some people who focus on the, the teaching of reading and stuff, like you say. Uh, I know with my teaching, I don't teach to read. I can't read myself. Yeah. So, 
What did you start out playing at first? Was it straight into stuff like ACDC and that, or did you sort of start off on folk songs? No, um, gosh. Uh, first song you learned? I learned the first song I learned. Um, God, I don't know. I, the first chords I learned were E, A, and D, and I just figured out how to play Hound Dog, Elf by Elvis. Nice. I mean, they're probably the wrong chords, but I could. I figured out how to, to get through it by playing the E and then the A, and then for the turnaround, I play the D which was probably should have been a B, but I didn't know a B, <laughs> so yeah. I just used the D. And it kind of worked. Yeah. But uh, so that was probably the first song. But when I started playing guitar, I was on a mission to learn Back in Black. I was like, this, I have to learn how to play this, or I will just not be able to exist in this realm. So that I is did that. cool. That is cool. Yeah, man. I had to do Back in Black, yeah. Well, the first three chords you learned were the right ones then, huh? Exactly, yeah. How did you go at first with that? All those little, that little line. Oh, I'm sure I completely destroyed it, but it sounded great to me, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just like, even just getting close to it was like, oh, oh, it was like amazing, you know? Just getting close was just. And, and what, was, what was the first guitar you got? Um, I saved up my pocket money and I went to Sears, which uh, I don't know if you guys know about Sears. And your I've heard of, of, yep. Yeah, it's just like a giant. Um, Be like Kmart or something, store. I guess. Kind of, a little more, a little more, yeah, maybe like Kmart, but it's more like tool. Anyway, they had a, a acoustic guitars there. So I, I had $31 that I saved up and I went and bought a little acoustic guitar. That's how I started. Nice, nice. Yeah. And how long did you play uh, acoustic before you jumped over to the electric? Uh, probably about, I don't know, maybe a year. I think my parents were waiting for me to just sort of say, okay, I've had enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Never what was the first it. electric you got? It was called West Tone. Oh, yeah. I've seen those. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was called a West Tone, and that's what that local store, the one that I used to look in the mirror or the window of. Uh, as a kid, they had that's the main one that they carried was West Tone, so I bought one there, and and then my uh, after that my shortly after that our house got robbed. Oh no! They took my they took my guitar, and I was so devastated. And my mom uh, went to the local store and got a catalog, a Gibson catalog, and I picked out what's called a Gibson Invader. Nice. Which kind of looks like a Les Paul. Um. It's like a super cheap Les Paul, but I loved it because it looked like Steve Clark's Les Paul in the video Foolin'. Nice. It looked just like that. So I was like, that's the one I want. So that was my guitar for a while after that. Cool. Yeah. And and what about amp? Did you get an amp straight away to go with it? I did. I don't remember what it was called, though. It might have been a crate. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't real big on those. <laughs> I just got... Crate of shit. <laughs> yeah, um, crate of shit. Yeah, yeah, they weren't the best sounding amps. Um, I do remember. My first one was a PV. I was going to say PV Rage, but that was a second one that I'd, I'd won along the way. But PV Studio Pro 112 was my, my little jam in the early days. I actually yeah. played for a long time without an amplifier. I grew up oh, really? um, living in, in a caravan with my mum, and I used to just hold the headstock of my electric guitar against the caravan walls, and the whole thing would yeah. would vibrate, and yeah. it was like this big acoustic chamber. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Was that with your electric guitar? Yeah, it was with my electric. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. 
So when you had your, your Gibson Invader and your, and your little crate, did you mm-hmm. start playing in bands with other musos soon after that? Oh, my God. So I had been playing for, uh, I guess, about a year at this time. And there was um, a music producer, a guy who was, I think he was in the band. It was a band called Alabama. Yep. And uh, he, he uh, I think he was one of the guitar players, a songwriter for the band Alabama. And he was putting a band together around his daughter, who was a singer. Cool. And he was going around to these, the music schools in L.A. and auditioning kids, right, to be in the band. And so I didn't, I didn't even know. I, don't, I think I barely even knew bar chords at this point. And um, I auditioned. I went to the audition. The school called me in, and I got the gig. So I was immediately in this band. It had a lot of money. And um, we rehearsed every weekend in this fancy Beverly Hills studios. And it was a whole thing, man. And we were going to do this huge uh, – it was all to do this one show at a club called The Stardust, which is a pretty famous club in L.A. That's where Van Halen did uh, – Starwood. Sorry, Starwood. Okay. Van Halen did a lot of big shows there. So uh, anyway, that was my first band. So it was like like real money and we had costumes and the whole deal. Anyway, it all fell apart. It all went to shit. So <laughs> that was my – that was my first band. Nice, nice. Yeah. So that would have been, I mean, for a first band, if the the parent was from Alabama, that would have been a pretty pro-run kind of thing, I'm guessing, compared to most people's first band. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was a hell of an experience, man. It was like, yeah, I had to learn really quickly, and they were real, real good with me, real patient. I learned a lot, and so it was cool. I don't know why they picked me. I mean, I could... I don't know. I could barely play bar chords, man. I don't know. That's <laughs> weird. It's funny though. Um, I think people who are accomplished musicians themselves can recognize in younger talent whether they have the, the music gene. You know, um, mm. there's just some people that when they play guitar just have or play any instrument. I call them ten percenters. They just have that ten percent more than other people do, mm. and and it's apparent just with one or two notes. And maybe they 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 saw that in you and and thought, yeah, this kid's could go places maybe yeah and, and what came after that after that band dissolved what came next oh man um after that i don't know i kind of i don't really remember i just sort of just plugged away in my bedroom all the time and you know in the summer i'd i'd surf all summer and then play guitar the rest of the year and cool cool <laughs> that was it really well, i'm from a place called the gold coast on australia and it's a all the Australian world champions in surfing, yeah. they all come from here. Uh, so it's very yeah. much a, a surf culture here as well. So yeah. it, it's funny, you know, me being so white and pasty, um, <laughs> you wouldn't think it. But I actually avoid the sun because I got a lot of sun damage from when I was a kid growing oh, up around yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. yeah so what kind of guitar players were you getting into around that time? You, you said you started off you know, with ACDC, etc. What? Yeah. Um, where did you progress to after that? Um, well, after just, you know, I was obsessed with Angus for a long time. He was all over my walls. And, uh, then I heard, um, Van Halen Mm -hmm. and, um, I just sort of snowballed into, you know, it was like the early eighties. So by the time I becoming guitar aware, it was already Van Halen and Yngwie Malmsteen and George Lynch and Vivian Campbell and Jakey Lee and all these cats, all these guys from the 80s. And it was like just, you know, uh, over overflow of 
sorry. You're right, man. Just okay. Just an overflow of of, of uh, guitar heroes. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was uh, Eddie Van Halen, and then after that, I discovered Warren Demartini. Cool. And he was like that sort of that was like my top main number one guy was Warren Demartini. Not like even to this day, it's like no, so, yeah. Cool. You know what? I, I I know of Warren like Rat, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That wasn't a big thing in Australia. Um, maybe if people were really into the, the, the metal back then, they'd know it. Um, but I hear his name dropped a lot in terms of chops and, and tone and stuff. Man, check him out. I will. Yeah, I will. Check him out. Yeah. I'm going to hit him up and see if he's around, if he wants to come on for a chat. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, in, the, in, like, in like the guitar world, he's one of these guys that's like – you know, if you talk to anyone about music in general, they're not going to know who he is. But among in our world, in the guitar world, it's like Warren, you know. Yeah, yeah. Especially with the hard rocker guys. It's like, yeah, absolutely. Warren Martini. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Cool, yeah. cool. <laughs> I, do you remember the first time you heard Eruption? You said you, you went to EVH. Do you remember the yes. first time you yeah? Yes, absolutely. How absolutely. Sitting you? on my bed. Yeah, I heard it. And I was like, I yeah, couldn't believe it. Even today, when I listen to it, I can't believe it. I know. Like, I know. like my wife. My wife came in the other day. I was in my studio. And I was listening to Eruption, and she comes in. And I'm laughing, and I had paused it because I sometimes I just listen to it and I go, "Oh my god!" And I drop my head into my hands and I just start laughing because it's just ridiculous. It is. It is. You know, I um, oh. I took I took the time a couple of years ago now to to slow it down to learn it note for note. Oh, um. I can't play it at speed. I, I, I do. I've, I've worked it out what I think it is, but I get to about eighty-five percent speed, and then I just go, "Oh, not there." But I always used to laugh at EVH's suggestion that he's only trying to play like Eric Clapton. You're like, "Are you serious, man? You you really think you, you sound like Eric Clapton?" You slow that thing down, man, and there are licks in there. You go, "Oh, I hear it now. You're just playing it super fast." Yeah. Did yeah. you ever take the time to, to try and slow it down or do you try and learn to play Eruption? No, I mean, I, I haven't tried to slow it down, but I, I spend so much – I've got it pretty well, pretty well. And also I've seen guys on YouTube, you know, do some great tutorials on the stuff he's doing. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what he's doing. So yeah. I've done that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but the Clapton thing for sure, like I hear, I hear Clapton in his right hand. Okay, so if you okay. listen to the way he plays rhythm – um, the way he hits that, uh, you know, if you listen to like somebody get me a doctor, for example, the way he's doing the rhythm work on the, on that a string, it's crossroads, man. Yeah. Right. It's clapped in crossroads. It's the same feel. The right hand is clapped in all the way. Okay. That's where you'll hear it yeah. right there. Yeah, awesome. That's the clap. Yeah. So Doug, you're, um, your current gig is well. You've got two cool gigs: the Edgar Winter Group. How, yeah. long been, how long have you played with Edgar? Damn, I've been playing with Edgar. <laughs> I don't know, maybe seventeen, eighteen years now. Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And so that, so you started off playing with him pretty young. Then that yeah. must have been not long after where we left off with you know you discovering all these these cool guys. Yeah. How did that gig come about? 
Um, what happened, what had happened was, uh, <laughs> I, um, I was tooling around LA, you know, I was in, a, in s- uh, several bands and, you know, doing gigs here and there and playing for this guy and that guy, just normal, like every other guitar player in LA, just trying to hustle. And I had a job driving a van for, uh, an auction house in Beverly Hills. And the, the owner of the auction house wanted to record an album where he's singing jazz standards. And my gig was I had to get in the company van and go pick up the engineer and help him haul all his shit back and forth. And anyway, the, um, the engineer was Jeff Worrell, who's a, a really well-known, respected uh, front of house and recording engineer. And he he had been the front of house and tour manager for a lot of people, including Edgar Winter. And he and I became friends, and I gave him my demo CD. And uh, he really liked it, and he played it for his son, who was, I think, at the time about 13 years old. He really liked it. And it just happened that Edgar was looking for a guitar player, and Jeff said, well, you got to check this guy out. And Edgar called me out of the blue, and I was like, what? And invited me to his house, and I went there and auditioned, which was mostly him singing a bunch of lines to me and then me copying it on the guitar. Oh, cool. And then... Yeah, and then also he just put on a chord progression. Said, "Let me hear you take a solo," and and that was it. It worked. He hired me. Nice, nice. Yeah. And uh, were you a fan of Johnny Winter at all before that? To be honest, uh, I wasn't. <laughs> I, yeah. I I gotta say, I guys like that growing up in Australia over here, I. I can't say I heard much of these guys, but I used to see them in guitar guitar magazines all the time. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't recognize Johnny's playing myself. Yeah. 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 I just didn't really know about him. And, you know, it took Edgar taking the time to, to hit me to the stuff, especially in the 60s, mm-hmm. the late 60s when he started out. And if you go back there, um, my God, you know, you got to give it up. He is absolutely one of the all-time greats. I mean, that stuff is unbelievable cool. so now i mean now i'm totally johnny all the way but at the time i was like i knew about him but i just thought he was this you know sloppy whatever you thought he was sloppy oh yeah i did <laughs> it's funny that i i can remember as a kid uh learning to play and everyone would go on about Jimi hendrix and i didn't get it i was just like, yeah, yeah. That, man, he's, for me the holy trinity was evh steve i joe satriani yeah. and Somebody, a um, friend of mine, Tapper, who's a local surf reporter on the radio around here, um, gave me a tape of Hendrix, and I just didn't get it. I was like, man, that's nothing on what these guys are. But now, when I sit out in the sun and have my morning coffee, I'm trying to play like Hendrix. I'm going, man, how, if I could just play those chord progressions and play around the chords and outline it the way he did, you know, I'd be, I'd be a happy guy. What twisted it for you? What happened that made you click and like go, I get it now? Trying to play unaccompanied. Huh. Yeah. So I quite often ask players, um, are you any good if someone just hands you a guitar and says, play me something? I got nothing. I'm like, well, you got a a band I can play along to or something? Yeah, you give me a, a backing track or chords to play over. I'm not one of these guys who's very good at just playing unaccompanied and that's mm. where i sort of thought I, I need to get a bit better at that and started listening to some some hendrix and trying to get into how he does that mm, interesting mm. 
Hmm. Yeah, I, I arrived at, I, I was the same way. I didn't like Hendrix at all. Um, and I didn't get it. People would get pissed off at me. I was like, oh, you're stupid. And I was like, well, I think you're just saying you like him because that's the thing to say. But anyway, I just didn't get it. And I don't think it was until I discovered um, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Oh, really? Yeah, which was an interesting journey on its own. But once I got Stevie, I got Hendrix because I think people were selling Hendrix to me as this rock guy, which he was. Clearly it was. But I didn't hear it that way because to me, rock was Van Halen, you know, mm-hmm. and he was just sort of playing this psychedelic hippy dippy stuff. And once I got that, he's a blues man. Mm-hmm. I got it. Hendrix is a blues man. Yeah. So once I got the blues and I understood what that what was going on there and I had that love of the blues, then I could listen to Hendrix and go, I got it. I got it. And then I became obsessed and it was like two years of my life I was completely obsessed. So cool. It's cool. just an interesting journey how you get to somewhere. Yeah. You know? Well, that is something I definitely hear in your playing is that that blues influence. As I said in the opening, you've got chops, but you've got that feel, man, like as well. So yeah. what took you down that road of, of the blues? Um, it was always there. Yeah. It was, I just didn't know it. I just didn't know it kind of like I was, I was listening to Angus in the beginning and the licks were just insane. I remember hearing ride, uh, ride on. And I was like, the blues licks were so good. And he's just playing the blues. He's a fantastic blues player. Yep. I mean, he's a brilliant, brilliant blues player. He's Absolutely. just, it's kind of, it's kind of hyper. It's like totally like, I don't know, like I was going to say methed out. That's how I <laughs> It's just like hyper blues, you know, so it's yep. very aggressive. And then, you know, the Van Halen stuff and even Ingve, I was huge in Yngwie. I still love Ingve. And when I thought about all the stuff that I loved about these guys, it was the blues. Um, the licking, we're talking about eruption, that my favorite part of eruption is when he goes to the four chord. You know, da, 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 that lick afterwards. I mean, it's just sick. That's the blues, man. Totally. Blues, straight up. Absolutely. And my favorite, my favorite licks of Ingve were all the blues licks. You just sort of rip into a blues lick. So I didn't realize until later in my playing, while I was so into all these great shredders, that it was actually at the core of it all was the blues. And it was sort of going, my God, it's, it's always been the blues for me. And um, even though I was really into the shreddy stuff, what really got me was just the bluesy stuff. So just realizing that, discovering Stevie Ray Vaughan, which led me to Hendrix, and then I discovered Eric Johnson, and Eric Johnson led me to Clapton because I didn't like Clapton either. Yeah, yeah. Then, uh, but once I, once, I, once I heard Eric Johnson doing Clapton and Eric, and Eric Johnson saying, oh, yeah, this is Clapton, I'm like, oh, oh. So then I discovered Clapton, and it all comes back to the blues for me. So it's always been blues awesome awesome and you mentioned eric johnson and that's something that i do hear in your playing as well yeah uh, sure yeah now i don't hear Ingve. what what did you okay. get out of, you, you said you, you got the blues out of Ingve, or was there other aspects of Ingve that you think you picked up um what i got oh gosh um what i got out of Ingve with the the thing that I focused on, I think that made me a little different from a lot of my contemporaries was I never learned the solos note for note. I really wasn't interested in it. That's like when you say, did you ever slow down eruption? I never really did. Um, what excited me about the players that I liked was 
you know, how Eddie Van Halen could hit a note and it would go, wow. Yep. You know, and same with Vi and Satriani. That can make the note do this crazy, just one note go, wow. It could travel this tonal thing and then they shake it and slide off and just like, what? Eddie was a master of that and Ingve had this way, even though he's known as a shredder, he could play one note and it's so fucking rife with ferocity. You know what I'm saying? Woo! One note and just shake it like this. And it's just like, it's like, how do you do that? That blew my mind. And he's just pure fire, this guy. And so what, what I, get, I think if you, if you sort of get any kind of intensity from my playing, it, that comes from, a lot of that comes from Ingve because that's what I took from him was just how to play, ironically, one note and make it really kill. Wow. Wow. Isn't it funny you, you can draw inspiration from the, the strangest of places? Like, I, I'm i not that well-versed in, in Yngwie, uh, mm. but I associate him you know, diminished sweet-picking arpeggios. So yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna have to go and have a listen and, and see if I can pick up on some of this that you're talking about. That, that one-note thing, that really does set people apart, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I'll send you some stuff. I'll, I'll find some tracks that I particularly like that really influence me, and I'll send them to you. Cool. And I'll tell you where to look out for them because it's like – Awesome. Woo. I'd appreciate yeah. that. That'd be awesome, man. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. Um, now, you also mentioned you play for uh, another uh, Japanese artist. Let me see if I get the name right. Ikichi Yazawa. Right, Ikichi Yazawa, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. How long have you played for him? Um, three years. Three years, yeah. How did <laughs> yeah. that come about? Um, my good friend, Jimmy Paxson, he's a fantastic drummer, world-class drummer, great friend of mine. I've known him for a long time and he had the gig for a, a while and I guess a spot opened up and he dropped my name in the hat and, you know, they, they gave me the, the once over and brought me along. So it worked out great. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And you also, I know you teach online, a good friend of mine, Dave Leslie from the Baby Animals, who's... Yeah. Bit of a legend over here in these parts. I know he was yeah. taking he was taking lessons off you uh, online. I remember a couple of years ago, yeah. he's like, "Man, man, <laughs> taking lessons." Uh, no, actually, I was talking to him and I said, "Have you heard Doug Rappaport?" He goes, "Yeah, I've been taking lessons off him." It's like, oh, <laughs> uh, I did reach out to you a year or two ago, but I think you were touring at the time. Um, and oh, okay. Yeah, but uh, I'm going to have to um, reach out again and and book a, a few because I really like your style. I how did you get into the teaching side of things? Because you did teach at Musicians Institute for a while as well, didn't you? I did. I taught at GIT for a little bit. Um, teaching is just a way, you know, it's being a musician is a rough racket, man. It's tough. It's inconsistent. And um, you have to hustle all the time to get work. And if you can teach, it's a good way just to make some extra scratch, you know. Mm -hmm. That's really how I got into it, just, just to, you know, supplement supplement income sure yeah. when yeah. you were teaching what's something that you used to pass on to a lot of people that you think was your thing you know like hey you, you need to concentrate on on this and that you thought you pass on to the students to, to make them make them a, a better player um well, I've had so many students. Uh, I'd say overall, I think what I tried to impart the most, especially when I was at GIT, was, you know, take your time, man. You know, it's like, like a kid would come in and go, 
I gotta come up with a solo and it's 16 bars. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? It's 16 bars. I don't know. I can't think anything. And I'm like, dude, just play one note, man. Just like, cool. Slide it off. You know what I'm saying? And come back with another one. You know, there you go. Four bars are gone now, right? And so I just get them to calm down. And go, oh, oh yeah, yeah, okay. You know, maybe don't play anything for a few beats and then throw in a bend here. You know what I mean? And repeat it. You know, uh, you know, how do you make 16 bars? Yeah, it happened. Just, it's really not that hard. So I guess I would teach them to take the time. Um, and rhythm, I think, was one of the things I taught a lot. I taught people rhythm a lot because I found that to be the most uh, lacking in the majority of my students is rhythm and time. Uh-huh. Yeah. I have to agree yeah. with you on that one. Um, mm. And I, I bring this up a lot that, I know some guys that absolutely smoke it when it comes to the shredding, but the rest of the song, they're terrible, and they, they, mm. they, they don't get it. Yeah. Um, I had um, an interview with a chap named Bob Spencer on here a couple of weeks ago, and he's the current guitarist for an Australian group called Roast Tattoo. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of Roast Tattoo. I've heard of them. Yeah. Sure. And um, everyone talks about Malcolm Young in Australia as being you know, the, the rhythm guy, and I think Bob's not far behind him. Um, and oh. yeah, yeah, now he had some great tips on just the way he, he plays rhythm and how he approaches it. Wow. So yeah, Terrific. that is a, a great thing. Um, I'm interested to know your approach to the fretboard because everybody's completely different and, you know, some people use the cage system, some people are three note per string. Yeah. What's your approach to the fretboard, man? You know, I was always a three note per string guy, um, I didn't learn the cage system until I went to GIT to go teach there. Uh-huh. And I had, I had knew nothing about it. And so they handed me the curriculum and I was like, caged. Hmm. Interesting. And, uh, I, I learned it and it's fantastic. It's a great way to learn the neck. Yeah. Um, so I do both now. I, I sort of view the neck in chord shapes. Um, I view the neck in three note per string and chord shapes and chord tones basically. Cool. Cool. So, yeah, yeah. So I sometimes bring up Caged with people and they, they don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, I did hear reference to it when I was a youngster and, and didn't know what they meant, that they were actually referring to the chords C, A, G, E, and D. So I'll bring that up with people and they go, oh, no, no, I tend to play around the chords. And then they start explaining to me the Caged system, basically. Exactly. It's like, yeah. ah, you already know it. You just, you, you're not calling it that. Yeah. 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 You know, working at GIT, I, I, I had the good fortune of getting to peruse their um, curriculum. Mm-hmm. And also, there had, I had Scott Henderson, like, two doors down for me. Oh, you know, wow. Just sitting in a room jamming all day, you know. And Alan Hines and all these phenomenal world-class players coming through there. Kirk Fletcher, uh, all kinds of guys, man. And so I would go and just, like, if I had some time, I'd go watch – Scott Henderson play, and I asked him, you know, how are you doing that? And he didn't say cage necessarily, but I could see he works around the chords. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? He sees the chord shape on that neck, and he works in around it. I can see that happening. So cage is a good thing to learn. It's good to visualize the neck in chord shapes, not just linear scale tones, but really try and try and visualize those chord tones in there too, because you can't really, he used to tell people, if you play the chord tones, you're not going to be at, in the wrong key. If you play yeah. the chord tones, you won't make a mistake. Sure, so, sure. And that's something I've, I've been trying to incorporate a bit more 
into my playing. And I'm just looking at the comments there, and um, I'm not sure if I'm saying the, the, the name right. Gonzalo Cordovez. I'm sorry, I'm not good with the uh, with those names. Uh, says Cord Cordtones, just notes, man. So I think David Gilmore's one of those guys that actually just plays the notes of the chord with a few mm-hmm. passing tones in between and just comes out with those beautiful melodies, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great way to go. Yeah, for totally. sure. Totally. And so we talked about Hendrix. A lot of his stuff, I guess, could be applied to um, playing around the chord and the cage system, I guess. Would you agree? Huh, I haven't really thought about it. I don't know. I just, I, I, I don't think there's anything really conventional about the way he plays. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, it's like he just seems to come at it from some kind of angle that just defies convention. I really don't. Yeah, I, I've never been able. I don't think there's a way to. I don't know. It's bizarre. He's just one of those one in a trillion guys. that just. I guess I don't know. I don't see it that way particularly. But maybe. Yeah. Maybe. So Doug, we haven't really talked much about gear apart from you know, back with your your West Tone guitar. <laughs> And just looking around, I'm just looking around your room there. I can see some. Oh, there's, a, there's a nice, there's a V. There's a couple of nice Les Pauls. What's yeah. What's the amp you got behind you there? That is uh, a Yamaha Digi 100. It's probably the best digital amp ever. Wow. Yeah, it's awesome. Okay. And what what's yeah. your what's your main rig now? What do you when you're out playing with Ed, the Edgar Winter Group and Ikichi Yazawa? What What are you using? Well, um, when I go out with um, when I go out with Edgar, I use rentals. We get rental amplifiers, mm-hmm. backline, and it's ninety nine percent of the time it's a Marshall JCM two thousand. Okay. Which, which I have, I have a whole bunch of amps here behind the computer screen. I wish I could show you, but all my cool amps are <laughs> over there. Sorry about that. You're right. Um, um, and then I bring out pedals, you know, I, I run that on a clean sound and I bring pedals, my own pedals, and I put them in front. I usually have the uh, J-Rocket Guthrie Trap signature pedal as my main overdrive pedal. It's fantastic. And then I have like a digital delay that I put in the loop and a tuner, maybe a Phase 90, and then like a Tube Screamer or something to add a little extra poop, which I really rarely use. Okay. So that's my touring gig, yeah. And yep. then when I do the um, Japan gig, I have uh, my Friedmans. Nice. I take my Friedmans out there, yeah. And okay. they're awesome. And well, I just got this amp from uh, they're called BRBS. I don't even know what it stands for, but they're uh, Italian amp company, BRBS 100 Deluxe. Cool. Man, what an amp. So that's like, I'm really excited about this. I love this thing, so. Yeah? BRBS. Yeah, I'll be- I'm gonna to have to write that B-R-B-S. down. I have to yeah. write that down and and uh, look them up. So um, you said you're using the Friedmans with um, yeah. when you're in Japan. Which particular Friedman? Yeah. Uh, BE100. Yep. I have the Steve Stevens as well, which is they're both phenomenal amplifiers. Um, I tend to to go with the BE100 just because of the the sound over there. The Japanese, the way they like to mix the music, is a little bit more. Not as bass heavy, you know what I mean? Like, like a mara. It's funny. I have these conversations with Japanese musicians, and 
they're not used to the kind of bottom end that we bring over here on the West. You know, it's like we like the thundering, powerful lows, and in Japan they're like, oh, you know, really. So it's kind of it's kind of funny, yeah. So the BE's a uh, more emphasis on upper mids, whereas this Steve Stevens has got that thundering bottom, which kind of screws things up a little bit. So I, I usually just end up with the B100 for the totally, tour. Totally, totally. Yeah. I, I got the chance to AB a Steve Stevens and a, a BE100 um, in Germany last year at 42 Gear Street, which was a, a YouTuber event put on by Henning Pauly. And mm. lucky enough to have Dave sitting beside me as I was playing the two. And I really liked the, the lower mids on the Steve Stevens. It's just yes. got that, that thickness uh, about yeah. it. Um, yeah. And I, I was always a small box guy. I had the small box uh, 50. Yeah. Love that. Love that. And I plan on getting another Great one soon. Enough. I'm going to see whether Dave can tweak the B, BE channel on that to be a bit more like the, the Steve Stevens. That would be my ideal amp. Yeah. But, uh, I'm sure he would. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he said he, he, could, he could do whatever. Pretty much you, you request it, he'll do it. Which is great. Exactly. Yeah. There is uh, someone in the chat room actually that I just saw there, uh, Chris Burt, and Chris has got the most amazing collection of amps. He used to be up around mm. Brisbane, up up my way. He's down on the other side of the country now in Adelaide, and I'm actually going to fly to his place one of these days now that I've got a laptop to to do some recording. And um, man, he's got B one hundreds. He's got. Steve Stevens, I think he just got the butter slacks. He's he's got them all, um, yeah. and he just dropped a message in there before saying, "Hey Rick, hey Doug, Chris Burt here. Massive fan of your playing, Doug. When I'm looking for somebody to give me an accurate demonstration of an amp, you're my absolute go-to guy." Ah, uh, thank you, Chris. Thank you, brother. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate it. And we also have Erwin yeah. Thomas in the house, and Erwin, Erwin, hey. um. Used to be known as Jack Jones uh, in Australia as a singer from a band called Southern Sons. And I've got to uh-huh. say, he's probably my biggest influence as a teenager in terms of lead guitar. Uh, so, oh, wow. hey, Erwin, he's actually going to be on the show on Monday. Uh, he's saying, Doug, ferocious player. I wish I'd met him when I was in LA. Would have loved to have spent some hang time with that guy. What a sweetheart. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Is it Irwin or Owen? Irwin. Uh, 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 oh, Irwin. Okay. Irwin. Yeah. I have a funny Thank accent. You, Erwin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Doug, we said before about um, YouTubers being the new guitar heroes. What's mm. some guys that you've seen out there that you really like? Um, well, I discovered Rick Graham. Um, oh, what a monster. About a year ago, and it's just like, good God, man. That guy, unreal. I don't know, man. He's just phenomenal. So, yeah, he's phenomenal. Um, let's see, who else? YouTube guitar players. Man, I don't even remember some of their names. You know, there's so many. I, I don't really – Rick Beato. Yeah. Everyone knows Rick Beato. Great channel. That guy's – oh, my God. Yeah, he's just – he blows my mind. And we've become, we've become friends, so it's really cool. He's a really nice guy, and just his guitar playing is otherworldly. So – uh, and then I just discovered this other young fella, countryman of yours, I believe. Oh man, what's his name? Ben. It's a jazz guy, young, young. He's got to be like twenty something. Hmm. Tell um, who that is. Jazz musician. I have it on my. He's phenomenal. If you like jazz, you like killer jazz players. Okay. He's just and so young. I just I'll, I'll find him. Cool. And then um, what was Ben? 
And then this other uh, young Italian fella, um, Matteo Mancuso. Is he the guy with the fingers? Yes. Man, yes. Do, do, you know, do you know a guitar player named Louis Shelton? Uh, session great from oh man he, he's played on so many hits you wouldn't believe um oh, yeah. they talk about the wrecking crew and, and louis was a, a part of that louis just lives down the road from me and i was at his place a couple of weeks ago and he showed me the italian guy with the, the fingers and he's just yeah. shredding absolutely shredding yeah. but no pick doing it flamenco yeah. style i was like yeah whoa what the so I, i'm actually gonna reach out to him and see if he wants to come on i, I don't know if he speaks english or not but I'd I think he does. He does, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. He does it all, dude. Country, jazz, all of it. I think he's like 20 years old. He does wow. all of it. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Okay, so I found the guy. His name is Ben Yunsen. How do you spell that? Uh, e U N S O N. I found him on uh, Instagram. Okay. Ben Yunsen. He's phenomenal. I think he's Australian. Okay. I'll have to yeah. reach out for him to come on for a bit of a chat. Yeah, man. So, sure. what led you down the road of doing product demos? Um, Friedman, actually. Um, I did a, I did a, um, I just did like, a, I just was recording stuff and putting it on YouTube just to see what could happen with it. And then um, Rob, uh, you know, he owns Tone Merchants. Um, he said, man, I'd love to you just, you know, plug in our amp and just play. I want to see you shred on the amp. I'll give you a little bit of money and you can just make a video. I'd love to do it. And that's what I did. I did my first demo video with the B and that's the video um, that's got the most hits on it. I mean, it did really well for me. It really blew up for me. I had people send me videos like in China and from all over the world of people like copying that, that video, which cool. is really flattering. Um, and it just sort of went from there and they're like, cool, do another one. I was like, okay, do another one, do another one. And that was pedals. And it just kind of went on from there. Nice one. Nice one. And do you find people recognize you from, uh, from the demos? Uh, like if yes. you go to Nam and, and stuff like that, that's, that's where people know you from. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Cool. I had the weirdest experience, man. I started doing product demos, um, a couple of years ago thinking that, I would probably have a couple of years at doing it before anybody noticed. And mm. it was maybe my third one that I did, which was for the, the B, uh, sorry, the small box 50. And you mentioned Rob from tone merchants. Rob reached out to me yeah. and said, man, saw your video. Love it. You coming to Nam? Here's a pass. And I went, Oh, I'm not ready for this, but yeah, I'll come over. And man, the strangest thing I had just watched a video of Phil X talking about mm. how, um, people, think they know him through his videos and that um, uh, mind blank uh, Peter Frampton come up to him and was all like hey man yeah good to see you yeah and he's like oh nice to meet you I know we've met you know and he thought he knew him through the videos I'd just seen that video I go to Nam I see Phil X standing just over yonder he looks over my way and does the whole I'm doing that typical <laughs> right and he comes over and he's like man hey, good to see you we've, we've met before I'm like no no I think maybe you've seen my video so to see hear him talk about that and then him do it to me was just yeah yeah classic that's hilarious yeah so that's another guy I love watching I love his I'm a big fan of his too I love same, his videos same for a long time yeah 
He's somebody I'd love to get on for a chat. If anybody out there knows Phil and can connect me to him, I'd send me a personal message. I'd actually love to, to get him on for a chat. So you, you said you started off with the Friedman stuff. And did that open up doors to approaching other companies? Or do you approach companies? Do companies approach you when it comes to the YouTube no. demos? No, they, I, they approach me. Yeah? Yeah. Cool. I'm really bad. I'm really, I'm horrible. One of my biggest downfalls as a musician is I'm a lousy businessman. Uh, I don't do the whole reaching out and cold calls and I can't sell myself with a damn, you know what I mean? I just, I'm just a guitar player. So I'm really bad at like the whole advertising and you know, the whole thing. So. You know what? I think that's, that's all of us, man. That's all uh, of us. We're, we're not, we're not business people. No. Um, I saw a, a, an interview or listened to an interview with Buckethead of all people. Mm. And you know, he's the, the mystique of who is this guy? And, um, yeah. and this interview was actually with him and, he, and his psychologist. And to hear him talk, it's the only interview out there of him actually talking as him, as, huh. as, as Brian. Um, and it's really candid because he's talking about his nervousness and how shy he is. And that's why he does the whole mask and bucket thing. And um, and he was saying that the amount of missed opportunities that he's had in life, because he's not that businessman, he's not, um, yeah, he's scared to pick up the phone and, and call people for, for different things. So it's it's a common thing, isn't it? It is. Mm, mm. It is. And, and the thing that, that drives me crazy is the other side of that is that, and I don't blame them. And more, I never begrudge anyone having a great career. But I see a lot of guys who really aren't that good, um, just you know, having a really good career, like crushing it. And it's like, you know, it's like how this guy, you know, he doesn't play that good. But they they hustle, man. They got a hustle in them. They aren't afraid to just go and go. Hey, here I am. Here's my shit. You got to take me in and keep calling back. Keep calling back. And you know, there's some people have it. You know, they got that kind of game and they do well. And good for them, man. You know, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've seen that. Um, I do a bit of production work just around my hometown, mm. and I've seen some amazing talent that I've worked with that just don't have the business smarts to to chase it up. Yeah. And then I've seen, man, probably the most vanilla person I've ever worked with in the studio, um, who has um, his wife is really good promotions and all that just putting him out there and i'm just thinking are you serious this this guy's so ordinary but yeah yeah but you got the right person totally right person behind you yeah yeah totally if you got somebody hustling and doing you could anyone you know what i mean i've seen the same thing i've seen just like it's like wow i mean they're just working hard and putting it out there and getting up every day and being motivated it's like it goes a long way and they 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 do well They, they can do well Absolutely. Good for them. <laughs> yep, yep. I, I got a friend of mine, um, Brooke Supple. Look her up. Uh, anybody watching? Um, I got to get Brooke to get her YouTube page in order because, man, that is one talented singer. She was um, backing singer and, and guitar player for Sinead O'Connor for many years, touring the world mm-hmm. with her. Also, mm-hmm. the, the group The Cause from um, from Ireland. She was yeah, with touring with Andrea Kaur. I did an album with, with Brooke maybe about a year ago. Um, I'm no country player, so I did most of the guitars, and then I reached out to Sean Tubbs, who came and played um, mm. on a few tracks. 
Another and, guy I love to watch. Oh, man. Sean, he's yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Actually, I'm, I'm going to hit up Sean to come on the show as well. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's been a year and just hasn't been following it up in ways. You know, it's really sad to see. Like, listen to this chick sing, man. You know, like, I tend to record people right beside me on an SM7. I'll just put on headphones. And every time I'm just, I turned around and I show her the hairs on my arms. I'm going, you do that to me. Every time you open your mouth, it's crazy. Mm. But um, it's just that promotion thing. So yeah. as, a, what, as a little plan, game plan, I'm actually going to maybe get her to come in here and do a few live tracks so that, mm. as I said, I'm, I'm drinking from a very big coffee cup and I have a few of those. And I warned you, I said, man, if I do that, shh, that means I've got to nick off yeah. to, to the bathroom. <laughs> I should plan a little break and just play some songs of her because it is just goosebump stuff. Cool. Yeah, yeah. You, you aware of any artists out there similar that you think might need a bit of a go check out this person? Yeah. Yeah? Well, yeah. I mean, I have a, a good friend of mine. He's been a friend of mine for 20 years. And um, I'll tell you straight up, hands down, he's the best guitar player I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, not to take away from any of the brilliant guitar players I know out there, but this one guy is so gifted and he's so good. He's so... and. And he just, you know, he sort of took another musical path and he, you know, he just didn't, didn't go out there and hit it. And no yeah. one knows who he is. And I, and I swear, no one believes me when I tell him, like, I know this guy, he's the best guitar player in the world, man. He's like so stupid good. So, but yeah, so yeah, I do know. What's his know name? What's his name? So we can all check him out. Let's give him a plug. <laughs> he doesn't have any, I don't know if I should, because he's really like. <laughs> it's really private like, person okay i get it if they're private if they're, person, if they're, yeah. they're private yeah, yeah yeah now doug when i asked you about your touring rig it was all mm. um all analog gear have you ever gone down the road of trying the various modelers and, and using that as a as a life solution i did yes um when uh with the edgar winter band we went on in-ears uh several years ago and it's uh it was a nightmare man it was like it was the worst sound I could ever, you know, I, I set up my amp, I set up my pedals, I get a tone that I can work with and it's great. And they put a microphone on it and I put the inners on and it's like, um, it's like you plugged into a boss metal zone and then right into a, a console. It's just the most horrific sound. And how am I supposed to play like that? Mm. You know, it's mm. like, how am I supposed to be me? How am I supposed to have the dynamics and the touch and all that stuff when all I'm hearing is this awful sound. So we spent a lot of time trying to work that out. And eventually I just said, that's it. I just got to find another solution. And I went with the Kemper. Yep. And it worked great. I used it for a couple years and it was really great. And then I started missing the, you know, the live amp thing. So I did use the Kemper for a couple years and it was a great solution to the inners problem. Okay. Okay. So I, I've experienced the same thing whenever I've tried uh, in-ears. Too direct, man too direct yeah. like every time i touch yeah. it and, and i would turn around and, and apologize to the band just go dude sorry i'm fucking this up and they look at me go you're playing fine man what i'm just like whoa it's just too direct yeah. uh so i didn't really get the chance to try properly with adding ambience just to my in-ears but i hear some guys do that i think steve stevens when i chatted to him a couple of weeks ago said that's what he's doing um yeah but he's loving using um speaker irs now 
to, to, huh. to send a front of house. Have you tried any of the new load box slash speaker IR simulations? I saw him talking about that with the Waza, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I haven't, but I'm totally down to do that. Yeah, for sure. I'm definitely into looking into that. I, I can't remember if it was actually on air or when we were talking beforehand, but he said he, he, he plugged it in, give it a, give it a try at sound check, and his sound guy just came running down to the front going, man, you got to hear this. And he just said the whole consistency thing of not kicking the mic over or is it placed exactly the same every time? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that was the plus with the Kemper. It was just made the front of house life a lot easier. But yeah, I want to try that for sure. Yeah. Anything that'll make in-ears, anything that'll make it so I don't have to take the fucking thing out every time, you know. Here comes my solo. Uh, play. Uh, put, put it, trying to find it, put it back in before my vocal. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like anything yeah. where I could just, if I could just leave it in and have a great show and enjoy myself, I'll try it. Talking about popping in out have you been one to wear earplugs uh in loud situations most of your career or have you just gone with it no how's yeah. the hearing how's the hearing it's good really yeah no no Somehow. tinnitus no tinnitus no no wow knocking on wood it's yeah. funny it seems to hit some people and not others huh yeah i i, I mean for the life of me i i don't know why my brother has tinnitus, but he got it from um, listening on headphones. A lot of people got it from playing headphones too loud, mm. listening to music. Yeah. I don't know why I don't have it. I, I play loud. My wife, I'll be playing, and my wife will come in and just go, oh, my God, turn it down. It's too loud. I'm like, what? It's totally manageable, but no, I'm good. Interesting, interesting. There's a lot of yeah. different theories as to what it is. Uh, and whether it is actually just a little bit of hearing loss and then your brain is picking up on the sounds being generated by your body, which it normally actually does. Hmm. Um, maybe you just haven't tuned into that. I know if we talk about it with somebody, boom, I would think about it and it's just like, fuck. So, you have it? Oh, yeah. have done for a long time. Oh, yeah? have done for a long really? time. And I've worn plugs since possibly late teens. Didn't get the molded ones until a bit later um, with proper attenuators in it to take everything down by the same amount because, like you said, you got the squishy ones in uh, and you'd be playing. You're like, ah, oh, fuck this, man. I'm about to take a solo. Pull that shit out. And it's sometimes hard to find the time to put them back in. Yeah. And whenever I've done that, I've noticed, whoa, you, you start losing the top end in, in one ear by the, just from that five minutes of exposure. Sure, mm -hmm. sure. So you're very did, you, did you listen to a lot of music on uh, headphones? No, 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 no. Hmm. See, I'm wearing noise cancelling headphones now, and I see. Have I got the noise cancelling on? Let me just check, because it's yeah. As soon as I put them on, I don't want to mess things up. Oh, okay, that just turned on noise cancelling mode then, <laughs> and I'm going to turn it back off again because whew, all I could hear was. <laughs> Oh, man. I, I worked for a hearing specialist recently. Yeah, just trying to find a, a cool day gig. I had to leave after two weeks because nobody there. It was like a like a Kmart of, um, of hearing places, and nobody there had the slightest idea about hearing. It was really hilarious to hear them talking frequencies and the like. But I did meet one guy who was an audiologist from South Africa, Mm. And we sat down and did all the tests and everything. We tried to actually pinpoint what frequencies. And it's two different frequencies that, that seem to be going off in my left ear. 
So it's no. not not limited to just one. How wow. about how about damage from playing? Have you had any you know overplayed and given yourself tendonitis or anything like that? Um, that has happened to me before. Yeah, yep. but not bad. I mean, nothing that doesn't go away after a, a, a day, you know. Yeah. Never anything severe. Never, yeah. Cool. So you never I had... I did... Um, you what's go. that? You go. I was going to say, I, the first Japan tour that I did with uh, Yazawa, <laughs> a lot of people may already know this story, but anyway, I broke my finger. Whoa. Yeah, man. My middle, my middle left finger. And... Um, yeah, so that was the only time I've ever like injured, <laughs> had an injury. But I finished the tour. I, I figured out how to play all my parts with the my finger in a splint and uh, finished the tour. Wow, so, wow. Yeah. Did you see the pictures recently of Tommy Emmanuel dislocated his, his finger? Oh, I did see that, yeah. Oh, it was brutal. It was like right angle. Yeah. Man, Crazy. what must have been going through his head at the time? Yeah. It's a nightmare. Yeah. It's a nightmare. Absolutely. It's speaking like of, the worst dream. Speaking of Tommy Emmanuel, can you do any, you know, the, the boom chick, Travis picking kind of thing? Is that a road you've gone down? I can. Yeah, I did. Uh, I, I went through a phase where I was really into Chet Atkins and I learned, uh, I did, I learned a lot of that finger picking stuff and I haven't, it's something you got to keep up or it goes away. I can still sort of fumble through some stuff, but yeah, I know how to do that kind of stuff. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So earlier when I was saying about not being able to accompany myself that well, I need to play against someone. That Maybe that's something I should look into. It's so fun. It's so good. Where do I start? Totally. Where do I start? Um, Chet Atkins, because he's like the, the daddy, man. He's the, I wouldn't say the original, but um, I got a videotape of his long, long, long time ago. Um, I just look for some old Chet Atkins instructional videos and start there and he Great teacher. You learn about five or six songs, and it's fun. It's really fun. Wow. Okay. I'll check that yeah. out. I have seen yeah, some sure. Tommy Emmanuel videos where he's he's showing and he calls it boom chick, you know, boom chick, boom yeah. chick, boom chick. You know, I actually had a photo shoot with Tom back in 91. He was – the rest of the world sort of clued onto him later on, but – Late 80s, yeah. early 90s, he was everywhere on Australian TV. And okay. it was a shame. He almost became, you know, like that variety show judge or something. And it wasn't until he went overseas, I think he moved to Nashville, that he became taken seriously on the international scene. Oh. But I had a photo shoot with him back in 91. And he's gone to hand me his guitar and said, here, have a play. I just looked at him and said, yeah, yeah, no. What do you play in front of that guy, man? What do you play in front of that guy? His brother, yeah, his yeah. brother, Phil, who just passed away mm. recently, was an amazing mm. electric player. I actually like his electric playing better than Tom's, but then you give Tom an acoustic guitar and you're just like, how the hell yeah. are you doing that, man? That's like three guys. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard of him. I haven't really heard Phil's stuff, but I've heard that he was a great player as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The two of them started as, as kids um, around Australia touring, and there's yeah. there's photos I've seen of them yeah. both playing the same guitar as you know, five- and seven-year-old kids, and then they continue doing that later on in life as well. Yeah. Man, that's amazing. Mm, mm. I'm blown. I'm blown. I've got to tell you, man, just to give some props to your country. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
the talent thing. I mean, I don't know how many people. You, what do you have? Like twenty million people in your whole country? Something like that. Yeah. The talent that comes out of there is absolutely mind blowing. Yep. I mean, per capita. You know what I'm saying? Like Frank Ambali and Brett yep. Garced and mm-hmm. and uh, and our boy Dave Leslie. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yep. Tommy Emanuel. I mean, the list goes on and on. And actors and the athletes. And it's like. I don't know what y'all got in the water there, man, but yep. damn. Yeah, there's a few other guys, man. Phenomenal. Uh, Pliny, yeah. have you heard of Pliny, the uh, young guy? Uh-uh. Um, no. Yeah, he's fantastic. I think uh, you mentioned Rick Beato earlier. He, he did a, a breakdown of one of his songs. Okay. Uh, my man, Erwin Thomas, who's in the house watching us as well, uh, formerly known as Jack Jones, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, him, Brett Garced, um, Stuart Fraser was another guy from a group called Noiseworks. They all ended up uh-huh. playing for John Farnham that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. To you. Uh, yeah. He had all, all the great guys and, yeah. Now, yeah, but said, they just come from nowhere. You know what I mean? They just come from nowhere. They just sort of show up in L.A. and just blow everybody away, you know. Virgil Donati on the drums. It's like, it's like, you know, where are you from? Oh, I grew up on a farm. I'm Brett Garson. Where are you from? Oh, I grew up on a farm. I just had a guitar and yep. I don't know. Yep. And, and he rolls up and just smokes everybody. It's like, what? Yep. What is going on down there? Keith Urban. Unbelievable. Keith Urban is another Keith one. Keith Urban, man. yeah. So Phenomenal. When I was a kid, everyone used to say to me, man, you're pretty good, but you keep it up, you'll be as good as Keith from Brisbane, everyone used to say. And I'm like, who's this Keith from Brisbane? Rusty and the Airs Rockettes was this cover band that he was playing in around yeah. around the, uh, the nearest capital to me. And, yeah, and again, didn't get taken that seriously until he moved to Nashville and then people were like, whoa, man, where'd you come from? Yeah. It's amazing. He can play, man. A lot, a lot of, I don't think a lot of people know what a great guitar player he is. I mean, he's a really, really good guitar player. Mm. We had the show, I don't know if you guys saw it down, uh, down there, but we had the show going on in America for a while called Crossroads, I think it was, and they yep. would merge different acts together. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see the one with him and, and John Mayer? Yes. Yes. Man. Yep. I felt bad for John Mayer. I was like, Keith was like going easy on him after a while. Like they would play and they'd trade licks and then Keith would kind of go, okay, you know, I've got to give this guy a little something here. And it was just like, he was so wiping the floor with Mayer. And then he was sort of graciously sort of easing up because he was dusting this kid, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So that was something else. I was like, oh man, his tone, everything was just, yeah, Keith's a bad boy, no so doubt. One thing in common with all these people that we're talking about, they're all great singers. Mm. And that really sort of got me, I noticed that at a young age, that a lot of the, Australian guys that I was into. Um, we haven't, I haven't mentioned Ian Moss is a, a big Australian guy from a group called Cold Chisel. Um, everyone knows Jimmy Barnes as being the lead singer. You probably haven't heard of these guys, but they also had the guitar player would sing as well. And his, the way he sang, you can hear that same feel in, in his playing as, as when he's singing. Mm. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. You said John Mayer, uh, Keith Urban, Owen Thomas, all these guys, man, they're they're all great singers. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I, I wonder, believe it. I wonder if there's a connection, you know, between I know whether they start out as singers and then pick up a guitar later or the other way around, but there just seems to be that that connection. Well, you know, I did a um I did a tour with um Pat Travers mm-hmm. and um he's a lot of fun, man. What a character. Great guy, man. Hell of a guitar player too. That might be someone you could talk to too. Yeah, right. um, 
and Pat was like talking about you can tell someone's singing vibrato usually is the same as their guitar vibrato. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Mm. That's I yeah. That's right. yeah. That's something that I picked up. These guys have the same same vibrato. Interesting. Speaking of of vibrato, you you said that you're really into ACDC. Yeah. Angus, one note, and you can just hear that. You know it's him, huh? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Love it. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. It's funny that you said you got into ACDC at such a young age. Mm. When I first started playing guitar, for me, um, we had to do it at school, and I was absolutely shit at anything ex- at school except when they gave us a guitar to to, to play. Uh, seemed to pick it up pretty quickly. My next door neighbour played guitar in groups uh, back in the 60s and he gave me a, a tape of the shadows he said man you need to learn this stuff so there was guys at school learning randy Rhodes and stuff and it was like learning the shadows yeah and then along for me came um mark Knopfler from dire straits and uh. i just thought oh listen to that and my mum actually bought me a poster of acdc not knowing who they were, but she just saw the guitars and went, oh, maybe you, you'd like this. And I'm like, you know, 12 or something. And I, I was freaked out by it. I was just like, oh, no, that, that's, that's devil music, man. You know, you know? And I took it back and got, a, and got myself a, a Dire Straits poster. And then, and then maybe a, a year or two later, I had discovered ACDC. And like you said, back in black. And I was just sold, man. It was just like, yeah. Yeah. I had to play that yeah. shit. Yeah. Yeah. I think... I think um you know, I recently, when I, as soon as I moved to Portland or Oregon, I immediately hooked up with a guy named Kelly Lemieux, who is a fantastic bass player. He plays for Buck Cherry. Cool. And uh, we got together. I had been in Oregon for like a week, and we got together and we jammed. And we just played some ACDC and Van Halen with his friend Ryan on drums. And we ended up putting together a band. We ended up putting together an ACDC band. And uh, the idea was, because tribute bands are pretty popular up here where I am, but we wanted to do, he wanted to do Bon Scott era ACDC B-side, okay? Cool. So like not the big hits, but sort of the sort of other big songs that the real diehards would know, you know? So, and that was honestly my first introduction to the Bon Scott era ACDC. Before, I mean, my when I found ACDC, it was already well into Brian Johnson, well into it. Yep. So... That was my ACDC. I didn't really have that bond. But man, man, have I grown to love that Bon Scott era. And Bon Scott, man, oh my God. I mean, how did I not know about this guy my whole life? I mean, that music is just ridiculously good. And Angus, the whole band is just killing. So, yeah. Cool, cool. Funnily enough, um, around the year 2000, I played guitar for a a pop artist uh, that was signed with Sony. And his manager was... Michael Browning, who managed ACDC all through the, the Bon Scott era. Oh, wow. And yeah, um, sat around with Michael a few times, having a few drinks and everything, and just hearing him talk about that era and you know, when Bon actually did pass away and stuff. And, yeah. But that, wow. wasn't, that wasn't his proudest achievement. I remember him saying to me, everyone wants to talk about ACDC with me, but that's not my proudest achievement. His oh. proudest achievement was discovering somebody named Billy Thorpe who you've probably never heard of, but he was a really big name in Australia, 60s, mm. 70s. Oh. Um, I know Lee Sklar often posts of his fondness for when he played um, bass with, with Billy when he went to the States in, in oh, the okay. 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Doug, you got some really nice Les Pauls behind you there, man. 
Yes. Do you want to show us those? And while you talk about those, I'm going to take a quick little bio break like I warned you about. Okay. Can you show us those Les Pauls, man? I can. Let me see how far I can I, get I can still hear you. I'll be back here. in 30. 30 seconds. Okay. All right. So I took my ears up so I can't hear you going tinkle, which is kind of disappointing, to be honest. Kidding. Okay. Um, this is a Gold Top 57 reissue. It's killer. It's about nine pounds. Plays like a dream. Um, yeah, it's awesome. And uh, it's got some tone-specific pickups in there, which uh, I'm going to be doing a demo for, which I'm really excited about. And you should be too. It'd be a lot of fun. And then over here... is this is my favorite guitar in the whole wide world and that is uh 59 reissue lemon burst it's stock stock pickups i think they're called custom burst pickups this is a 2018 um it's light it's probably eight pounds it's great i love light guitars um the neck profile is perfect it plays perfect Everything you want in a Les Paul is right here. Nice. Uh, I will say that the only thing I did to this pickup was it had an Alnico 3 magnet in it, and I took it apart and put an Alnico 2 in there. So it's more like the Gibson Burst Buckers, um, which I, I like it better with the Alnico 2 magnet in there. Otherwise, I just left it alone. Um, this is my fave. This is I love this guitar. I love you. <laughs> I love this guitar. And while we're on the subject of Angus, my dream was always to have. Oh, yeah. This was my dream. This is what I always wanted. This is the poster I had on my wall. Yep, yep. Angus going crazy. And this is a great guitar. It's a 1995-61 reissue. And uh, it's got a made. Every time I brought it, brought it on a session or brought it to people, they always go, how much do you want for that? No, dude, I'm serious. How much do you want? I'm serious, dude. How much do you want? And I'm like, no. Not for no. sale. Not for sale. No. So. <laughs> there we go. Okay. I, I gotta say, I, I do. Ears back. Okay. I'm, I've never been able to gel with with an SG. I, 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 really? People that, that like them love them. But for me, yeah. everything feels too far this way. I mean, yeah. it's all over here. And just the, the weight distribution as well. Yeah, true. Uh, yeah. It's weird. It is. Yeah, but I guess like anything, you get, you get used to it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you get, I toured with that SG for a long time. And it is, I understand what you mean. It's the same for me. It's really weird. And like, I'll go grab an E chord, but I'm really grabbing an F, an F sharp, you know. Yeah. So it's kind of yeah. weird. Yeah. <laughs> totally. So those those Les Pauls there, have they got fairly big necks on those? The the silver or sorry, the gold top has a big neck. Yep. Um the fifty nine has a smaller. It's perfect. The fifty nine profile is like the best neck profile in my opinion. Yep. Ever. Yep. So that's the one I like the best. Nice, nice. I've got a a Warmoth strat behind me that I threw together and the, the profile on that they call it a fifty nine fifty nine round back. So I'm assuming mm. it's it's something 
similar to that. Yeah. 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 It's great. Great profile. I'm a grippy player. You yep. know what I mean? Like, um, I grip like that. Some guys play like this. Mm-hmm. You know, I play like that. Yeah. So I don't want, I don't want too much. I mean, I like a good amount of, of meat on the back of the neck, but you know, something that's why with strat type guitars, I really like the V profiles for strat type guitars. Yep. yep. Yeah. Cause it just works great. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Same. So do you, do you still, do you reach for a strat often? You're like there was nothing stratty there. Have you got any strats on the other side of the camera? I have one strat. Well, this is a, it's a Friedman strat. Nice. It's called a vintage S. And, um, yeah, I love it. It's, it's terrific. It's all stock. It's this, it's the Friedman, uh, humbucker pickup, which is excellent pickup. Um, Grover Jackson built this guitar and he picked this neck out just for me because <laughs> he's a great dude. So thank you, Grover. I love this neck. It's, it's small. You know what I mean? There's not a lot of, it's thin. I like it. I like it. I don't want to fight anymore, man. I'm an old guy. I don't want to fight anymore. I like it easy to play. Yep. So, yeah. So this is a great, it's the only strat I have. I honestly, I have a horrible time finding strats that I like. I'm not a fan. Yep. Um, especially with the, the single coils. I mean, I've never found a Strat that I was like, oh, this is awesome, but this is awesome. Man, i got to so, say, you don't have your in-ears in right now, so you probably can't hear me. I can hear you. i got you, one in. Yeah. i got one in. Um, yeah. I've said this to, to, to Dave Friedman personally. Um, I've been to a few events now where they've got you know, all these guitars, and consistently my – Second pick out of everything there has been the Friedman Classic S, and the mm. ones that were number one, man, you you, you wouldn't you wouldn't play it. it. It's something you just put behind a, a cabinet. There were it was just you know sort of overly polished and and nice. And it's like well, that's not a player's guitar. That's uh, keep it behind the cabinet. So my ideal guitar right now, I need something. I'm, I'm a Strat guy, humbucker, two single coils, but mm. I want one with a Floyd Rose. Uh, I just like the fact of if I break a string, I can put it back on uh, on, on a on a Floyd Rose. So mm. I'm torn whether to get um, Grover to build me. Uh, always is it Classic S or S Classic? It's Classic S, isn't it? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's one of the, one of the two. Yeah, vintage yeah. vintage S vintage S vintage S vintage S. Sorry, yep, yeah, vintage S. Um, not sure whether to get one of those. That the price conversions for Australia to uh, US dollars is pretty bad at the moment. Mm. Or get a local. Well, I say local. It's about a thousand miles away from me. Um, Charles Cilia Guitars. Um, mm. Charles is a great builder in Australia, and I played some of his designs. And yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I'm. I'm after. Man, I got to show you something I've got here. While while I've got you yeah. there. Yeah. Talking about Floyd yeah. Roses and stuff. Check this yeah. out. Satch. Satriani. Haha, <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's sweet, man. Damn, look at that. That's a real Chrome Boy. I Where'd borrowed you get that. that? It- I borrowed that off a friend. Um, he's actually selling it. If anybody is in the market, hit me up and I'll, I'll put you in touch with the owner. 
Uh, is that Joe's signature on there? It is. It is. Um, oh. It's also on the back and on the oh. back of the headstock. The owner oh, was saying wow. he's had a few people interested that they didn't really like that it had Joe's signature on there. But if that's the case, that's easily removed. Uh, yeah. I just leave the, the back ones. But I'm going to record a cover of me playing um, a sass tune. I, I did one a while back, a few years ago now, doing the whole two-handed thing. And um, it's time to, to do another. So I know my friend was selling this, so I thought I would borrow it for the weekend and uh, record something. Great. Uh, actually, by holding this up, people could probably see my laptop that you're talking to you on no you can actually see my 1176 in my studio gear there <laughs> that's okay um that's cool it is isn't it yeah you were talking about not fighting anymore yeah. uh and i gotta say what i've done this had tens on it when i picked it up mm -hmm. and i went and got uh some nines to put on there because i asked you about tendonitis and i had had some issues in recent years oh yeah and um I actually tried eights. Somebody gave me eights, eight to 38 gauge, and I liked it. I thought it would be rubbish. But yeah. no, they were really cool. But the tendonitis is gone, and I'm just put a set of nines back on there. So yeah. I would like to know from you, what gauge string are you using these days? Um, now I'm using nine through 46. Uh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a cool story. Um, I played in a band for a little while called Supersonic Blues Machine, and we used to do these blues festivals. And the idea of the band was to bring on guests like you know uh, uh, Walter Trout, Steve Lukather, Eric Gales, and 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 then of course the patron saint of the band was Billy Gibbons. Uh -huh. So he'd always, and that was the big selling point. So we could sort of jump to the front of the line of these big blues festivals all over Europe. You know what I mean? Like, because yep. Billy Gibbons is going to come out. So we'd sort of get to <laughs> kind of not fair, but we used to kind of jump to the front of the line, you know? Yep. And um, so I got to hang out with Billy quite a bit. Which oh, was you lucky man. Awesome. And also we opened, you know, Edgar Winters opened up with him for ZZ Top several times. So I've got to hang out with him quite a bit. And he told me, the story that he had his Les Paul and he got to meet BB King and he had these heavy ass strings on his Les Paul and BB King says, Oh, let me see the pearly gates, you know? So Billy handed it to him. BB played one note, handed it back and went, uh, uh, he <laughs> said, we stopped, we stopped using that heavy strings a long time ago, man. He said, you got to play these light strings. And so from then on, Billy started using light strings. And if you look at Billy's hands and also talking about the tendonitis, you know, and the hand damage, that played a big part in me going to lighter gauge as well. Yep. You know, and if you look at Billy's hands, they're like young. You know what I mean? He's got a young man's hands because he's got no, you know, no problem. He's got no tendonitis, no arthritis. Just he's taking care of his hands and he plays beautifully. Mm -hmm. And and conversely, I know guys who played with heavy strings their whole careers and they get into their sixties and seventies and their hands are fucked. Yeah. You know. Totally. I won't name names, but big players. You know. And yeah. so I'm I'm a proponent of the lighter strings. I, I haven't gone to nine to forty-two yet. It's still too weird for me. I still got to have the heavier bottom, but uh, I'll get there. Yeah. I'm a believer. I, I guess uh, you're doing a bit of drop D as well. Perhaps that's why not getting so light. Yeah. I went yeah. Well, when you yeah. think of guys like like Eddie Van Halen, who was using nine to forty-twos but tuned down a half step, I'm guessing yeah. that that feels very much like a set of eights. That that tension. Yeah. 
Mm. And oh, I was so surprised, man. I, I was at a friend's place and um, I picked up his, he had a G&L Strat and I played it and went, man, this plays great. No fight, no fight. And he looked at me, he said, the eights. I went, yeah. Okay. Not at all what I thought. Uh, I can't find any more in music stores anywhere, but um, I'm going to go back to the nines. But I think that whole myth of heavier strings sound better. No, they don't. No, they don't. They don't. Did you see that Rick Beato video? I did. I did. And I'd made the That's switch great. just before that. And then I, and people didn't believe me. And I said, check out this video that Rick's done because, yeah, he yeah. knows. Yeah. The nine sounded best by mm. far to mm. my ears. The nine sounded the best. Yep. Absolutely. So, yeah. Doug, we've got a few comments here, man. I'm going to start running through. And, folks, if you do have any questions for Doug, please start throwing them in there. I don't keep my eye on that too much as we're talking because I don't want to get distracted with what the guest is actually talking about. So I'm going to go backwards through them here, um, and it's quite small. And I'm going to get in close, so <laughs> me and my bad eyesight. I wear multifocals, man, so I've got to sort of look and find the right one. I feel like an old person. Oh, yeah. nice. Um, <laughs> Okay, so from Gonzalo again. Uh, please, Rick, cheers from Chile, guys. I love Doug's style. I met you last NAM Friedman booth. Pisco at hand. I leave that day pretty hammered. <laughs> I, I gave you a pen drive with my music. Does that ring any yeah. bells? Yeah. Yeah, you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he also wants to know, top three guitar players for Doug. Good question. <laughs> Go. Man. That's so hard. It is, isn't it? Top three. Uh, oh God! You know what? I'm gonna. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna put Eddie Van Halen um, at like God level. Yep. Okay. Yep. And I'll, I'll, I'll go to the mortal guitar players. How about that? Top three more. <laughs> so we'll just put Eddie at the absolute pinnacle of greatness, and then I'll do three from there. Um, I gotta go with Angus, Angus Young, Warren Demartini, and Ingve J. Malmsteen. Wow, wow, cool. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I'll just keep going through here. Uh, yeah. From my friend Chris Burt, Doug, do you prefer covered or uncovered humbuckers? I noticed quite a massive difference taking the covers off, especially on Les Pauls. Have you played with that? I have, and I, I got to be honest, I can't really tell much difference. I like the aesthetic of the covered, especially when it gets like, you know, um, patinaed. So I really... I can't tell that much difference, honestly. Oh. It's usually an aesthetic for me. Yep. It's how I decide, yeah. Okay. I'm just still going through the comments there. You know, okay, I already read that one out. Yeah, I, I think that's it. So, folks, yeah, as I said, throw any more comments. Oh, got a few more coming there. Great control on the hands. So, okay, great control on the hands equals no need for heavy gauge strings. Yeah. Now, that True. that was a big eye-opener for me that lighter strings were, were okay after years of people telling uh. me that, man, Stevie Ray used 13s. You want that tone? I'm, I'm a skinny guy, yeah. man. I'm a skinny guy. And um, <laughs> to have 
I probably just don't have that stronger hands to be playing heavy strings like that. Yeah, I mean, why fight? I mean, why fight? You know, you know, and you go on tour. You know, go on tour for a long time and get your hands all tired. You know, or miss a band or your finger flies off because the string was too heavy. You mm. know, it's like mm. it sucks. You yeah. know. So. How about picks, man? You got a you got a preference? Picks. Yeah. Yeah, I I use two picks. I use I use these. Yep. They're Dunlop Tortex. I think they're one millimeter. I don't know. I cross hatch them. I take a razor blade and oh, I cool. cut cross hatches into them. I don't know if you can see that. I can, yeah. Um, and the reason I did that is actually because in Japan, when I had my broken finger, I would get so stressed out. And it's a huge show. You know, it's got lasers and explosions and fireballs. It's a huge thing. These are stadiums. And um, I'd get so tense because I'm just trying to execute my part. So I've got this big splint on my finger and I'd sweat real bad because I was, I'm not generally a sweaty guy, but man, when you're stressed out, you sweat. Yep. And my picks were slipping. And so my guitar tech started cutting cross hatches into my picks. Cool. And I've been doing it and it just works great. And the other ones I use are these jazz extra, the Dunlop. Oh, cool. Like XL3s. Yep. yep. Like Joe Bonamassa, same one. Yeah, right. Yeah. I've never been like able to. Bow. I've never been able to gel with the small, the small size pick. Um, yeah, yeah. I guess it's it's great. It's just, super accurate. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Which is great. And the other problem with it is that it's super accurate. So, you know, it's, if you're performing and stuff, and you're running around stage, you're going to miss a lot of notes. I find, you know, was with these big honking things, it's just sort of. Very comfortable. Yeah. I've actually been ex experimenting with um, these guys, the big triangle ones, chicken mm. pigs. Uh, I got a variety of those. Yeah. And I could get used to using that. It's just the fact that they're so different to anything else out there that if I didn't have my pick, I feel like, oh, man, oh, you've just got a normal pick. I can't use that. But maybe not. These sound great. They don't, they don't lose their shape. There's, there's quite a few different ones I've tried. I like these Dunlop ones. Uh, what are they called? Flow. But they just lose their shape, man. They yeah. Just, they just lose their shape. I've got to get my eyes out of the picture for it to focus. Yeah. That looks good. I like the look at that. Yeah. Um, actually, I'll switch to the other camera, which is on my MacBook, so it, it focuses a bit better. Yeah. Got the grip on it and everything, but they just lose the shape. If I could get something like that that doesn't lose shape, I'd be very happy. That's how I discovered the Tortex, because actually my favorite picks are Fender Heavies. Those are my favorite. Yep. But it's, at one song, they're destroyed. They're gone. So I used to religiously I used to religiously use the bright green Dunlop, tort, uh, not Tortex, riffs. Um, big jar full of them over there. But they were 88 mil. And I met mm -hmm. Andy James. Uh, do you know Andy James from Instagram? Sure, yeah. yeah. I, I yeah. met him at, at NAMM and said, hey, Andy James, dude, you're picking. Yeah. And he looked at me in, in that English accent. He goes, I've got a secret. Put his hand in his pocket, pulled out his signature pick, which was about to uh -huh. come out. And it was thicker than anything I'd ever used. So I used that for yeah. a while. And then I discovered that for me now, if I try and play anything fast – on a, a pick that has any flex whatsoever. And I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing Guthrie Govan here. It's like trying to write with a, with a rubber pen. It doesn't get back in time. 
Yeah. Have you found that? Yeah. Sure. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Doug, you've done a hell of a lot of touring and stuff over the years. Has there been any embarrassing moments that spring to mind for you? <laughs> embarrassing moments on stage. Come on, man. Spill, spill the beans. What's happened? Oh, my God. I can't believe I'm going to even tell you this. We've all had them. Uh, We've all had them. Well, <laughs> I, uh, we did a show. When I first joined Edgar's band, um, we had a drummer. It's funny, man. We had this drummer named Chris, Chris Frazier. He played, uh, you're a Steve Vai fan. Yep. Yeah, I am too, huge fan. But Chris Frazier was on um, a lot of Steve Vai's earlier stuff. Cool. Uh, Flexible and Warm Passion. He's a drummer on that. And he was a drummer for uh, Edgar, and we were touring. And he's a really good-looking guy, really well-built. And he had this killer drum solo he'd do, and he'd pull off his shirt, and he'd have these pecs and ripped muscles. You know, the girls would lose their shit, you know. <laughs> and and so, you know, after the shows and stuff, it was always we'd go sign autographs, and it was always just girls pulling off their shirts and signing boobs. And it's like, this is the greatest gig ever, you know. And and coincidentally, the day he left the band, all the boob signing stopped for some reason. I don't know what happened. <laughs> just sort of stopped. But anyway, it was the women would go crazy. And the guys, the rest of us in the band were sort of beneficiaries of these uh, women losing their minds. So one night we were playing, and it was a really rowdy crowd. Edgar can attract some rowdy people, which I love. I love the rowdy crowds. And we're playing, and we're rocking out, and um, girls are throwing their bras, you know? Yeah. Which you hear about growing up and you're like, that's, you know, and that's actually happening. It's like, whoa, you know, so bras are throwing up and girls are flashing their titties. And, and um, at the end of the show, a girl, <laughs> she jumped up on stage and she had just like enormous boobs and, and her nipples were just popping out of her shirt. They were like, like this, it was like, just like. And she comes over to me and she just wraps herself around me and starts kissing me, right? On stage, just as we're like saying goodnight. <laughs> and uh, let's just say I got a little, uh, <laughs> I got excited. A little excited <laughs> right there on stage. And it was like, oh my God. And it was, you know, that was my most embarrassing moment. You're probably wearing the, the, the tight rock and roll <laughs> jeans too, huh? Which isn't the most comfortable for that situation. No, even worse, I was wearing baggy pants, actually. Oh, baggy no! <laughs> <laughs> pitching, pitching the tent, as, as we call it over I here. Was, yeah, I was pitching the tent. So that was, uh, that was my most embarrassing. Yeah, not a lot of people know that story. Oh, cool, cool. Man, do you remember your first ever concert, like loud concert? Not you playing, but that you've gone and seen. Um, I think it was, um, I was staying at a friend's house and they sort of took me along to a concert. It was the Blues Brothers. Cool. Am I saying that right? Dan Aykroyd and yep. Jim and yep. John Belushi. Yep. Yeah. They did a live show at the, like, uh, I don't know, somewhere in Hollywood and we went and that was my first like rock concert. It wow. was like really loud and. Cool. You actually saw the, the, the Blues Brothers. My, my batteries. Yeah, I was really young, so I barely remember. So, yeah. Nice one. My battery's starting to flash at me, but that, that doesn't matter. I can just cut to my webcam. It's almost as good. Um, funnily enough, I remember my first one when I was about three, three years old, four years old, 
at a, a local place here called Twin Towns um, RSL, which has a lot of big axle. Oh, there it goes, my camera. It's okay. I will just change it. And funnily enough, I ended up playing through that very same PA that should... No, hang on. Picture in picture. Bam, there we are. Um, I found out later that a group that I was playing in, the sound guy owned that very PA. And I was it was a Queen tribute band. I was Brian May wearing the wig and I'd do the whole We Will Rocky thing and come out and stand on top of that PA and mm. do my shit in the wig. And when I found out that he had bought the PA off off my very first concert I ever saw, an Australian artist named John English, I was blown away. It's like, man, I remember hearing this PA and being scared of it as a three-year-old going, oh, listen to that sound, it's going to hurt me. And then to later on... Um, be playing through that PA, man, what an experience. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's a, no, that's a great feeling, man, yeah. Totally, totally. Yeah. Uh, i got a, another question there, folks. We are coming up to that, that two-hour mark where I try and, and round things up. So if you do have questions for Doug, speak now or forever hold your peace. Uh, and I do see one here. Doug, are you preferring your Les Pauls more over your Nags these days? I have your Nag signature and it is an awesome guitar. Mm. Um, well, first of all, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I've always been a Les Paul guy. Um, my relationship with Nags was really great. Um, I love the guitars. I love Joe Nags. I wouldn't say it's a... That's uh, a tough one. They're different animals, you know what I mean? Like when I want... What I, whatever I feel like is in my head. I, I play Les Paul. That's what I feel like playing. And if I want a little different sound, I go with the nags. That's really it. Really? And what, what differences yeah. are, you, are you noticing between them? Um, guitars are interesting. They're kind of like amp companies in a way. They sort of seem to find a different frequency the way they're built. I think the way that, that Joe Nags builds... Uh, the body shape with the bridge that he designed, which is a brilliant bridge design, um, sort of um, accentuates a different mid-range that's probably closer to the marriage between a Tele and a Les Paul. I think if you married those two guitars, you're, you're sort of in where Nags is. It sort of has that fatness of a Tele, but has that singing quality of a Les Paul. It's a great... Great sound, but it's definitely different from a Les Paul. Les Paul's got its own thing. Yeah, right. You know, mm -hmm. Gibson's got its own thing, and I love that sound, and I love the Nag sound. So that's that's mainly the difference. Cool, cool. You mentioned Telecasters. So you, no Telecasters in your um, in your quiver of guitars. I have one. I have one Mexican Tele, a Mex made in Mexico Tele, which is that's eh, a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess so. No, I don't. I don't currently own one. Cool. You got to have something around to, to cover all bases, don't you? I'm I'm not a Les Paul guy, but I've got a, a Chimson. Mm. You can just kind of see it just just over there, all backwards. Yeah. Let's see if I can. Yeah. That guy there, yeah. Um, which I picked up off my friend Louis. Like I say, it's not my thing. I'm a Strat guy, uh, yeah. but sometimes you yeah. just need that sound. So I understand you, you got you know, having a cheaper telly around, just in case you need that thing. Exactly. I mean, I'd love to. I, I'd love to, you know, if I ever have, what happens is I get, I get 
an opportunity to get a tally and then I find a Les Paul <laughs> and I go, okay, I'll get that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. so Dougie, are you, te- are you teaching again, man? Are you doing the online lesson thing? No, I haven't been teaching for a while. Um, I'm thinking about just putting out a bunch of videos, you know, just a bunch of YouTube videos of just, I don't know, sort of my approach. And I'm thinking of doing stuff about, guitar solo like taking a particular guitar solo and playing it and talking about how it influenced me because I, I find a lot the things that people ask me to teach them I don't know how to teach it you sure. know I don't know how to teach that stuff you know if you ask me to teach you how to play a scale I can do that but they, I get asked to teach them how do you do how are you making it sound like this how are you making it do that and I just don't know how to teach that so I'll figure something out so I'll probably um, do YouTube videos okay okay how about um, session work? Do you do sessions for people? Um, not really. No. Once, once in a while. Once in a while, but it's very. It's, there are not many sessions anymore. Um, I consider the video demos to be sessions. Okay. Really. Like They're if somebody, like if somebody wanted you to play on their album, for instance. Um, yeah. Are you set up at home that somebody could send you tracks and you could record tracks and send it back to them? Oh yeah, I do. I do. I actually do a fair amount of that. Yeah. You do? Yep. Yeah, actually, yeah, I do. Cool, cool. Because I, <laughs> yeah. I, I mentioned um, Sean Tubbs and getting him to play on on my friend Brooks' record, and that's exactly what we did. Just sent him some rough tracks, and he sent back yeah. some beautifully produced tracks that fit just awesomely in there. Uh, how do people get a hold of you if they want to do that? Um, you can um, email me at doug at dougrappaport that's the best way to get a hold of me. I have a website, dougrappaport.com. You can I have a way you can contact me through there. Uh, you can hit me up on Facebook, Instagram. Yeah. Awesome. And you actually do uh, answer your messages, unlike some people. That's how I got a hold of you, man. I I went to dougrappaport.com and dropped you a message. And That's right, yeah. Lo and behold, yeah. 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 I try. Yeah. I try. Man, you dropped a couple of names along the way there, like when you're saying Billy Gibbons, etc., and and you said Eric Gales. Yes, I saw him at the Byron Bay Blues Festival over here uh, a couple of years ago, and I was blown away. It, it's it's like you, um, just that playing from the heart thing, and mm. wow, what a player! What what a player! I, you know, and, and when he asked me my top three, I was thinking of putting his name in there. I was trying to figure out how to put his name in there because he is one of my favorite of all time. And I've known about him since I was 15 years old. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I knew about him when, when Kenny Wayne and and uh, Johnny Lang and those kids came out. Eric Gales came out at the same time. Mm. The deal was is that the other two guys were, you know, really good looking blonde haired blue eyed kids who were playing Stevie Ray Vaughan exactly and eric gales was doing his own thing right yep at 15 years old he already had his own sound he had his own style he had his whole his own vibe it was like it was almost like too much for anybody to handle and so i've known about him forever and it's so great to see him blowing up the way he has in the last several years because he is like yeah I, i did a cruise we do these rock and roll cruises and we were on with him and man, I'd go see him night after night, and the tears would be pouring down my face because he bleeds guitar, man. Oh yeah, he bleeds guitar, and he plays, and he's just ripping his 
damn heart out for you, you know, and it's just like, God, you could feel it. So yeah, Eric Gales, huge fan. Yeah. So what, when I saw him, man, there was times that he'd be playing and, and he would actually, you know, like take his hands off the guitar and just, it was like, he was just screaming at the heavens like, ah! yeah. and it was, it was an experience. And, and my thoughts watching him was like, this guy's lived life, huh? Uh, I don't know much about his background. I, my first introduction to him was in Guitar Mags, maybe the early 90s. And, you know, the way they try and um, promote people, you got your stylists and all these people trying to shape you into things. They were trying to make him out to be Hendrix, basically, because he's left-handed yeah. and so, and the other. And, again, as I said, I'd see things in magazines over here, but I didn't hear them because there was no YouTube to check these guys out. Yeah, and then he just dropped off the face of the earth, and yeah. lately again that I've seen him and just went, "Wow, where have you been, man? That's amazing." Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's something else. Yeah, uh, same with Joe Bonamassa. I've been aware of him since he was about fourteen years old from yeah, Time magazines. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw I saw Joe recently. Funny uh -huh. story. Friend of mine, Dom. Hey, Dom, if you're watching. Um, Dom had a spare ticket to go see a concert. This is, I'm trying to think how long ago, six months to a year ago. And all he said was, hey, man, I've got a spare ticket to go see Joe at QPAC. Do you want to come along? I'm thinking he's talking about Joe Satriani. <laughs> like, hell yeah. And he goes, man, I've got like very front row center two tickets. Center. And I'm like, hell yeah, man. I'll go, go see Joe Satriani. At no point did we ever say the last name, and it wasn't until that day we could have even been on the way to the gig or something. And I said something about going to see Satch. He's like, "No, nah, man, we're <laughs> no. to see Joe Bonamassa." Man, I was front row, center seat, just looking up at him, and I could see like his face tremble when he'd sort of attack the notes kind of thing. That's how close I was. If anyone's um, curious, I actually got a, a, a video on my channel somewhere of, of Joe from right down the front. Man, that was, a, that was an experience to see. But like I said, he's one of those guys I used to see in magazines and didn't really get to hear until YouTube, which yeah. has been a great thing. It's all out there now. Yeah, amazing. I love Joe. We, got to, we opened for him actually mm -hmm. one time so i got to hang out with him just a little bit and yeah he showed me his guitar and stuff handed it to me and i was like because i was already a huge fan so yeah he's something else man mm. he's unbelievable i love that guy well tremendous funnily enough um so as i said i live in a place called the gold coast and we're, i'm about an hour south of brisbane being, being the capital city in my state yeah. and i'm not sure if it's still the case but joe's girlfriend lived in brisbane and oh. I, I had a friend that worked in a music store, and he said, man, Joe comes into the store once every every couple of months. I'm like, no, no. And he, goes, he goes, yeah, no, he seriously does. His girlfriend lives here. And I'm like, really? Um, yeah, and he said he'd just come in, and you wouldn't know him. He just wears his hat, and he, he's notorious for going on guitar safari, I've seen, go, trying to collect guitars. Yeah. Yeah. Is that something you do on tour, man? Do you go checking out what can I find? Yeah, actually, you see that V in the back there. Yeah. Um, last tour I was on in, in Japan, me and uh, uh, Jeff Coleman. You know Jeff Coleman? 
I know the name. Yeah, that's a guy you got to get on your show. He's okay. a, he's a great great guitar player. He's awesome, great dude. Okay. And uh, we 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 hold down the guitar du- duties on this band. And uh, every time we every time top town we ended up going to, we'd always go out and track and try find local guitar stores and see if we could find stuff. So I found that guitar in a, a store called they have a chain of stores they're called Book Off. Book Off. And they're Book Off, yeah. And they are basically giant, a chain of, of pawn shops. Wow. Okay, so they're huge, though. They're multi-level. They have many stories and they have tons of shit. And they always have a little section of musical stuff. And they always got guitars hanging there. And they have so much stuff that they don't really do a whole lot of research or whatever. Yep. So they just sort of buy it and resell. So anyway, I found that guitar hanging there. And I thought it looked cool. So it's, a, it's an Epiphone. Yep. Um, and I just had them give it to me, and I played it, and I loved it, and I bought it for less than 180 bucks. Wow. Yeah, so, and it's killer. Yeah. It's a killer guitar, man. It sounds so good, and it plays great. So, yeah, that was my, that's my big guitar safari story. Japan is great for guitar shopping. Um, yeah. If anybody's not aware, there's a suburb in Tokyo called, let's see if I'm going to say it right, Ochonomizu. Do you know about that place, man? No. You, have, you haven't been guitar shopping there? Maybe. Oh, I mean, dude. It's the highest concentration of guitar stores in the world. What's it called? Ochonomizu, I think. Is, Ochonomizu. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, a, it's, a, it's a precinct of, um, of Tokyo. And it's basically a few city blocks. A few. Maybe two two even three of just guitar stores man and okay. oh i'm amazed you haven't been there next time you're on tour yeah maybe over there yeah. check it out check it out because they've got everything you can think of there's high-end stores there's porn stores there's all sorts and um i got one of those plasticky uh arion choruses the, that Landau's uh-huh. known for. Yep. Yeah. I think he uses an SCH1 and mine's an SCHZ. I had done a, a bit of a comparison. They're very close, but there is a slight difference. Yeah. More with the EQ on it. But uh, I picked that up there for next to nothing. Um, yeah. I have both the Richie Kotzen um, Telecaster and Stratocaster behind me. That's the Telecaster. That one up there, that was a Richie mm. Kotzen Strat that I ripped the pukey yellow color off and redid and reshaped the neck joint to be like a Guthrie Govan. Um, mm. But yeah, Japan for guitar shopping. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Any it's other, fun. any other hotspots you've come across while being on tour? Oh, you know, when I, Japan's the only place I ever go guitar shopping, really. Um, you know, when you tour in the States, it's, it's it's huge, you know what I'm saying? So usually wherever you're camped out, you're far away from anything, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Yep. Um, whereas Japan, everything's all smashed together. So you can land up in a town and just walk around for an hour and you'll bump into a music store, you know? So, yeah, no, I don't, I'm not really hip to a lot of stores, honestly. Man, the, 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 um, the suburb I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, um, what gets me, I said it, it's just big street full of guitar stores, they're, they have guitars outside on stands that anybody could just walk up and grab and walk away. Not the really high-end stuff, of course, but yeah. But it's just not 
their culture to go, oh, oh look, a guitar, I'm just going to grab that. Yeah. And like there's beer vending machines everywhere that kids could just go, yeah. but they don't yeah. do that. It's yeah. really, yeah. I've had a couple of Japanese flatmates over the years and yeah. just that whole respect and politeness thing is just, I think the rest of the world could really learn a thing or two from those guys, huh? I've said the same thing, you know. I, I remember I went to uh, I went out to dinner with some friends after a show in a part, uh, I think it was um, Fukuoka, and there was a family that was eating at the other table, and then some elder, an elderly couple walked into the restaurant, and the whole family, the whole table sort of stopped, and they stood up, and they were bowing and talking, and there was this whole respect thing going on. And I got like all teary at. I was like, how beautiful to, you know, to treat people this way. You know, you respect your elders, but they really, they really do that. It was just amazing to see. And I was like, wow, man, the consideration and respect that they have is, like you say, it's something I think we could all learn. Yeah, maybe. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah just nice. talking about that, that respect for the elders. My, my flatmate for about five years, um, Hikaru. Um, one day he came out and he said, look, I have, I have gray hair. And I was like, oh, you want me to pull it out? He goes, no, 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 I want, I want. Because to him, that was a cool thing, man. I'm getting gray hairs. I'm, I'm an elder. I'm respectable. That's yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Good. Doug, it's been absolutely awesome chatting to you, man. Well, thank, thank you, you so man. much for thank coming you for having on. me. I had a great time. Yeah, thank you. yeah. These these have been a lot of fun, man. As I said, I totally freaked out maybe the first 25 episodes, but now it's just chatting away and nothing to it. And things go pear-shaped. They go pear-shaped, and that's the beauty of they doing it live. And <laughs> I want to mention one more guitar player. I just Please do. I really Please like do. Watching. Greg Cock. Oh, man. That oh, guy. man. I am going to reach out to him to get him on. Dude. Yeah, you got to. Have you met him? No, I haven't. I'm I'm six foot three, and oh, my okay. photo my photo with him. He is just towering over me. He is a yeah. huge man. I don't know how how um, tall he is, but just the size of his head and his hands next to me. I look like a, a child beside him. <laughs> um, I went there with a couple of. To, it was a Fender Roadshow event. I went with two yeah. other friends of mine, a fantastic guitar player named Licia. Check her out uh, online, folks. Licia, um, I think that's she just goes by her first name professionally. Um, Nita Strauss actually was tweeting about her not that long ago. Uh, Licia is quite tall as well, and I was looking at some pictures and saw her just being dwarfed by him. So larger-than-life personality, huge guitar yeah. player, but he's actually a huge man, which I didn't realize yeah. until meeting him. But what yeah. a player. What a player. We write to each other, but we haven't actually met in person. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. He's just like, yeah. I'm going to try and reach out to him and get him on for a chat, man, because I reckon should, he would yeah. be a great guest. Absolutely. He would be. Yeah. 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 So, folks, again, I want to thank Doug for coming on. I'm going to hit my little pause button. Yay. And, um, man, I'd love to have you back on again sometime in the future. I'd love if you're to. Up for it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, man, I just... Thank you, Rick. This is really fun. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. I'm going to hit the end button now, folks. Thank you. Oh, like, subscribe, all that kind of stuff, uh, both to, to Doug and myself. So look up Doug on YouTube, just under your name, yeah? Doug Rappaport, yeah. I'm just under mine. Give us both a like, subscribe, notification bell, all that fun stuff. And you're about to be treated to my beautiful end screen.
now.